0: To KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9
1: 9 FM. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co sponsor of the 33rd annual Cascade Festival of African Films throughout the month of February with a collection of films by African directors from over 16 nations. Films will be screened at Cascade PCC, Hollywood Theater, and virtually. Full schedule and location information can be found at AfricanFilmFestival.org. That's the 33rd annual Cascade Festival of African Films showing Africa through African Lenses, happening February 3rd until Saturday, March 4th in celebration of Black History Month. Full schedule and location information can be found at AfricanFilmFestival.org.
0: Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. We've done a few shows lately on Pathways about psychedelic plant medicine. It's a favorite theme of mine because we humans desperately need to, as Michael Pollan put it, change our mind. So today we are going to do another one with a friend of the show, who recently returned from the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference in Vancouver, BC, and who is starting something very interesting in Portland related to psychedelic uh, healing. Tom Hatsis is an author and public speaker in Psychedelic History and Culture, with four books to his credit and three more on the way. He has appeared on the Gaim TV shows Beyond Belief with George Nouri, Psychedelica, and Open Minds with Regina Meredith and also in the cannabis documentary, The Kane Movie. He has articles published in Cypress UK and the Journal of Psychedelic Studies. Along with Eden Woodruff, he co-directs Sanctum, a nonprofit education and harm reduction organization in Portland, which curates the Sanctum Psychedelic Library, organizes the Guy and Minds Psychedelic Conference, and hosts the weekly Sanctum Open Mic. In 2023, Sanctum expanded its efforts to include a thrift store that will use proceeds to help defray the costs of psychedelic-assisted therapy in Portland. Hello, Thomas, and welcome to The Pathway Show. Hello,
1: Paul. Great to, uh, well, not see you uh, this time, but uh, always great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry about the unstable internet is making the Zoom video not workable today, but we're just going to have to live without it.
1: So you'll have to see our cute mugs through pictures.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't see your mug picture, but um, if you find it, put it up there. Um, Now, you've been on this show a while, and it's uh, before, but it's been a while. And I'd like to start by asking you to give, you know, the personal history of how you came to psychedelics and how you ultimately became a psychedelic historian.
1: Sure, so I ate my first mushrooms about 22 years ago at age 18 or so around, yeah I was 18 and I was overwhelmed in a really good way by the experience and I think like a lot of people I came back from that first journey saying like, wow I want to know everything I possibly can about these these substances, these medicines. Mm-hmm. and. My first idea was to write a book that mathematically proved, (laughs) you know, quite ambitious, but I I wanted to mathematically prove that mushrooms brought your soul into spirit realms. And as it turns out, I suck at math. So I decided to um, uh, put my attention towards history, which I was always pretty good at and check out primary source documentation to go back and take a look at what was true and what was fiction about psychedelic history. And the reason I had such questions was that when I first started looking at primary sourced evidence and documents, I realized that a lot of the pop history around psychedelics was incorrect. And this happened because a lot of very smart people who I admire were not historians, but they were putting out works of history. So you and I had talked earlier about Albert Hoffman would be a perfect example of somebody who's a brilliant chemist and we obviously we owe so much of the psychedelic renaissance to him. But he was a much better chemist than he was a historian, and he sort of put out and later on people repeated ideas that were not historically true, but they became so embedded in the psychedelic culture that when somebody like me comes along and says, oh, by the way, this isn't actually accurate, um, you know, I get a lot of hate mail for that. <laughs> but... um it's not gonna stop me from sussing out fact from fiction in psychedelic history, which is a passion of mine.
0: You know, it's amazing how people can be some become so attached to their beliefs or to uh, beliefs that they're used to, uh, that they're used to having held. Uh, it, it just amazes me how, you know, how people need to have these fixed beliefs and, and then they're so reluctant to change them, which is what I would call learning changing mm-hmm. beliefs. Uh, but anyway,
1: it's amazing. So well, if- it's exacerbated that that issue is exacerbated by the fact that we like to think that psychedelics are ego killers or ego dissolvers. And certainly when you are in that realm, when you've eaten mushroom drunk ayahuasca, the ego is definitely difficult to locate. But the truth is, after the experience, the ego recalcifies way stronger than it ever was before, which is why you'll have people going to take ayahuasca for the first time, they'll go to Peru, they'll take ayahuasca, and then they'll come back to the States and believe it's their mission to save the world. Well, there's nothing ego loss about that. That's actually very narcissistic to think that it is up to you to save the world. And obviously we all need to do our parts, of course but the the bombast that people have after having these experiences does not show ego loss it shows ego inflation and When you read some of the early medical reports from the 1950s, which I did to write my book LSD the Wonder Child, the doctors that were giving out LSD to their patients were quite clear that LSD enhances and inflates the ego. The whole idea of ego death with psychedelics was just an idea Timothy Leary had, and It had to do with just, I I don't want to get too deep into it, but it just had to do with his training as a behavioral psychologist. He believed that you could momentarily get rid of the ego and then re-imprint new ideas into a person, which is kind of brainwashy if you really think about it. But, um so the getting back to what you just said paulo about people's inability to detach from these ideas it's just it's made worse actually by psychedelics because people then start to make their entire identity their social identity is based around being a psychonaut so
0: right right well i've you know i I suppose that could easily happen to someone who has a you know relatively weak sense of self to begin with and they're They're looking for an identity and, and you know, they become all inflated by their new experience and and new insights Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I've never heard anybody say that psychedelics actually cause uh, a recalcitration of the ego. That's a very interesting theory.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, if you uh, Dr. Charles Savage, who was one of the first people working with LSD and mescaline in the States, this is back in 1952. Uh, was very clear that it inflates the ego and again you know if you just if you read the early reports from the 1950s you know when there were no paradigms about psychedelics and it was strictly just scientific observation they had no qualms talking about how it inflated the ego and somebody like just like timothy leary and i don't mean to come down on him but i mean you want to talk about the largest most egotistical or you know the largest ego on a human being imaginable you're talking about timothy leary and he was the guy trying to sell the idea that these things cause ego loss and it's like you know for a guy who supposedly used lsd to annihilate his ego he sure wrote a lot of books about himself
0: right well okay you know i i think the whole concept of ego is uh is undergoing revision too it's not uh you know, this whole idea that you have a, a unified sense of self and that you only have one personality and, and that's your ego, you know, that that's kind of being debunked by newer therapy oh, sure. like the IFS oh, yeah. things like that. So you might have a part, one part that's hugely egotistical. But okay, let me just ask you this question, because if psychedelics don't help with egoism, and I would venture to say that egoism is like, psychologically, one of the biggest problems on earth uh mm-hmm. supporting divisiveness and conflict mm-hmm. etc if it doesn't uh diminish uh, that tendency
1: well what is it good for well it's good for showing you what you have to work on so it's psychedelics are really good for showing that yeah you're an ego might be out of whack or how you're treating people or speaking to people, the the experience itself just shows you the mirror as my partner Eden Woodruff calls it. It's up to you to do everything else. Like you had mentioned, um, Michael Pollan said, you know, how to change your mind. It's not the psychedelic experience that actually changes your mind. It's It's all of the work you do in light of that vision that actually changes your mind. So I would say things like Eating a healthy diet and exercising regularly are far more important to changing your mind than a single mushroom trip is. Uh, But it's the mushroom trip that might say to you, hey, you're kind of just sitting around doing nothing. You're eating very unhealthy foods. You know, you might want to change that. The, 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 The medicines, to answer your question directly, are great for showing you what you have to do, but you actually have to do it
0: right right no no i agree with you entirely you're not going to be transformed because you took psychedelics but i like the the expression the the doors of perception which is uh the name of a book aldous huxley wrote about the psychedelic experience and sort of sort of like opens you know it opens a vision into a more unitive uh viewpoint seems to me sure where the ego doesn't reign supreme for a little while anyway the ego maybe whatever the ego is the an ego state that normally controls your behavior you know really is not very operative when you've taken 300 micrograms of lsd um you don't want to be taking calls and you know take care of business um, so you know you get a maybe you get a break from being dominated by the ego state that you're mo- most habitually controlled by internally just a, sure just a thought well, yeah it could be now some years ago you and I actually met at the Psychedelic Conference in Vancouver yes and for a couple years the pandemic forced the conference not to happen and I haven't been there I went two years in a row I haven't been there since the last time I saw you there um but it occurred it came back again this year what was it
1: like Thomas there were some really uh uh admirable things about it uh there were some things that were slightly cause for concern at least for me or anybody that is um sort of meticulous about truth and the kinds of falsities that cause division um so there was a little of that there and um but i i tried um I began for the first time, which was really—I mean, it, not a, a full-on flood dose, but uh, still an active dose—and uh-huh. I really enjoyed it. Um, I felt like throughout the days, because I took it on Saturday and Sunday, both in the morning. I felt that throughout both those days, my both my heart and my mind had this sort of protective shield over them and it was just it was interesting that like nothing really bothered me like you know the the person who cut us off on the way to the conference from the hotel normally i'd be like oh this jerk but i was like yeah you know whatever you know like it was it was just it was interesting i've never like my heart and my mind felt like they were at perfect rest and also um perfect stimulus or a a perfect like I don't know how to explain it like they were I I don't know how to explain it it's a it's a truly remarkable medicine I just I felt very chill but I could rise to action at the drop of a hat you know what I mean like that's what it kind of felt like
0: I've never done ibogaine but I did iboga the root um uh a couple times in costa rica a few years ago and i have to agree with you it is the most amazing powerful medicine um it really kind of delivers uh, um a soul connecting experience uh, with, yeah and you know, the way i i felt about it
1: yeah you're you know what it is you you literally you feel your soul like the way like a banana feels the inside of a banana peel i guess for lack of a better way but not the bananas feel feel maybe they can but that's i i agree with you paul like i felt the presence of my soul all day long
0: right yeah, Oh, that's awesome. I've never heard. I don't know about doing
1: it during the day and actually going about your business. Is that what you did or were you? That's did, what I did. I didn't know more. And it wasn't again, it wasn't a, a strong dose. I mean, it was an active dose. I was definitely feeling it, you know, so it was more than a micro dose. But right. it wasn't so overwhelming. Um, I will say, though, that on the Saturday night, you know, after the conference, everything, a bunch of us got together to smoke a joint and i will say that the and i want to correct myself i took iboga just the root not ibogaine oh, um okay. and you just reminded me of that when you said iboga. yeah it was iboga but it did not mesh well with the cannabis at all they started to fight <laughs> they got into an argument inside my body they didn't like right. each other very much you know um, it's
0: funny you say that because you know i mean i, I i've enjoyed cannabis most of my life but you know, I, I sort of think of it as kind of, I've come to think of it as kind of like ego candy. It's definitely, it doesn't dissolve my ego. Um, it doesn't, agreed. It sort of like is a gateway to all the things that my ego is addicted to uh, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, feeling good or dopamine, etc. Um, hey, so let's talk about psychedelic conferences because I've never been to yours, the Guy in Mind psychedelic conference why are psychedelic conferences important and tell us about the one that you guys do
1: sure so i think that they're really important for um what my friend mike margley's would call the water cooler conversations right i love the talks um in and, and hearing you know fantastic speakers present interesting ideas but one of the, the main things, the main takeaways are the networking, the people you meet and the side conversations like so when, you know, as as you stated, a spear plant medicine conference had been done uh, virtually over Zoom. And had it been done that way again this past year, I never would have tried eboga. So that's kind of the. Um, One of the important things is that you have people who are knowledgeable with these medicines and bring them along with them, you know, and and sort of uh, secretly dole it out to people who ask. And um, there's just it's there's there's something about human connectivity that I think we all um, missed over covid where. You know, it, it, the the number one takeaway of the whole COVID thing was for me was how much we all need each other and not just to help out, like, you know, if you are building a shed or if you're moving or you need to ride in, to an airport, but just being around other people and sharing that energetic connection, sharing that vibe with a person, I think is so important. And yeah. I mean, what better vibes are you going to find than at a psychedelic conference? So, when, um when is, oh, your, I,
0: when is your next one coming up?
1: We're, uh, we're still in the talks about that. Right now, all of our focus and attention and energy is being placed in opening the shop. But we're hoping, I mean, it's kind of like I have to talk Eden into it a little bit <laughs> because I'm more um, excited about this than she is. Uh, but yeah. so we just have to discuss it. I'm thinking we're hoping the summer or early fall of 2023 we should have uh, something together.
0: Oh, beautiful. Well, I want to talk about sanctum, but first, let's talk about psilocybin in general and the current state of legalization and de- decriminalization. Um, how many places in the world is it has it been
1: legalized? So, as far as legalized, I know in Portugal, these medicines are legal. And in the city of Portland, psilocybin is legal but only for therapeutic uses i'm pretty sure there are other countries where it's you know it's legal i'm not totally sure uh mexico this stuff is legal costa rica it's legal um but i haven't really done a you know a geographical survey of where you know where
0: it's so it's so interesting at the last psychedelic conference i went to up in vancouver they were actually selling microdoses of of psilocybin there even though oh yeah
1: and they sell peyote cactus too. a well, peyote is legal in um in uh vancouver right. i understand
0: right um well okay and in, in portland which is kind of radical it's legal for therapeutic purposes but is it accessible to people
1: so it is it is in the sense that we legalized it for therapy but we decriminalized it for personal use so people don't have to be as afraid to try to seek out mushrooms um, uh-huh. I mean there's still a little bit of fear of course because I mean decriminalized as you know doesn't mean legal it just means that you know the, the municipalities are not going to spend money going after you but if they choose you know they, they don't have to they're not uh, ob- obliged by federal law to come after you whereas but that doesn't mean that they won't come after you it just means they're not obliged to come after you
0: okay so but for the therapeutic use it's pretty restricted right I mean you have to somehow uh it's ex- it's expensive and you have to get uh you have to be serious PTSD or something is that right
1: so it's uh, it, you know it, you don't have to have any sort of serious condition Uh, PTSD or traumas or anything like that. Um, And as far as the expense, uh, I I agree with you, it is expensive, but that's where Sanctum Thrift comes in and we're, you know, we're setting up the scholarship program to help defray the costs for people who could use these treatments but can't afford the treatments. Okay, so let's... I understand though, like the cost, look, the, the cost comes mostly from insurance, which is caused by frivolous lawsuits if people, if the American public, you know, it's funny, we always talk about the high cost of, of, you know, medical services, stop suing doctors over bullshit reasons and they won't have high insurance premiums to pay. And that will lower the cost of all medical care across the board. It's it's actually the issue is with greedy people trying to build the system. Right,
0: so let's talk about Sanctum, which is part of, which is a potential solution to some of this. What is Sanctum and how would you define its mission?
1: Sure. So Sanctum is my partner, Eden, who I mentioned a moment ago, and my uh, psychedelics harm reduction and education organization. And uh, we opened up last year the first psychedelic education center uh, in the United States. Um, I don't I can't speak globally, but we were the first in the U.S. And it's things were going great, but we got a little bit too big for the space that we were in. So we moved now into a larger store that also has the education center attached to it. Um, The first building we had was or I should say, you know, sort of um, enclave in a larger building was big enough for the education center, but it wasn't big enough for the thrift shop. Excuse me, the thrift shop. And so now we've moved into a larger building and we use proceeds to help defray the cost of so let's say you have a soldier who has been dealing with PTSD from going to war. And you know, God forbid the United States actually takes care of its veterans. So this person doesn't have the money and could really use these treatments. The treatments cost about $2,000 this this ex-military indiv- uh, uh soldier has a uh, has a thousand dollars we come in as sanctum and pay the other thousand for them so that they can receive the treatment
0: so that's like two thousand per treatment
1: it's so they haven't set the price yet um it's going to be i mean the projected cost so we're just talking about projected cost is going to be between two thousand and three thousand dollars yeah wow that is pretty expensive and then Yeah, but that covers, I mean, that cost. there's overhead in the facilities. I mean, there's turning the lights on. There's making sure the facilities are heated and air conditioned. There's custodial staff keeping it clean. There's the training that the individual has to go through. And again, there's the insurance. So, uh, you know, I don't want to despair about the price and neither does my partner. We don't want to despair. We just want to solve the issue. That's right. what we're here to do.
0: So um, I, there was a, a theme about psychedelic sitting at the psychedelic conference that I went to last. And why not just hire us a, a sitter for three or 400 bucks?
1: Um, That's a really good question. Uh, I mean, most people do that. Uh, most people just see the facilitators that they've already been going to, like the underground facilitators. Right. This is for people that are not as experienced, we would say, as you or I am. You know, we've eaten mushrooms. We've drunk ayahuasca. We've helped people who have eaten mushrooms or drunk ayahuasca. You know, if they're having an adverse reaction, we've been there. We've been in we've been in the soup. You know what I mean? Or rather we've been in the dirt with this. A lot of people haven't. And for them, this is a safe alternative. And, you know, I don't fault anybody for that. You know, teach their own. Right. Right. So. Getting back to Sanctum
0: and the Sanctum Thrift Store, is it open now and 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 how you know, what can we encourage the listeners to do if they want to support this
1: cause? Sure, that's a great question. So we should be open by the second week of February. We're finishing up the renovations now, mm-hmm. uh which is a lot of painting, <laughs> but um we should be open by the second week of February and what we could use the best thing that we could use uh, right now are donated items being uh clothing tchotchkes and houseware Okay. Um, anything like that um we could so if you're uh, if you have stuff and you want to bring it to sanctum the address is 4033 southeast milwaukee f
0: okay 4033 southeast milwaukee well you know we're, we're basically out of time and there's so much more we could explore i want to to encourage uh our listeners to go to your uh website um now sanctum.org p-s-a-n-c-t-u-m sanctum with a p in front of it Uh you've also got psychedelic historian.com
1: Yeah, that's just my personal website if people are interested in, you know, psychedelic history and my work as a historian outside of my work with Sanctum. Although the two are kind of becoming fused. Um, The Psychedelic Historian site, I'm not even sure how much longer that's going to be there. I'm probably going to be moving everything to the Sanctum site.
0: Okay, well, okay, good information. And thank you very much for being with us today. Of course, Paul, thanks for having me. And for those who may have tuned into Pathways late, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of Pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. Now don't worry, you can play and share this interview whenever you want, via the internet or as a free podcast, and I'll tell you how in a minute. Today we've been visiting with Thomas Hatzis, author of books on psychedelic history and co-director of Sanctum, a nonprofit education and harm reduction organization who has now opened a thrift store to support the cause. And I wanna say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed on the internet at www.kboo.fm every Sunday morning by Donald Altman or myself at 8.30 USA Pacific time. And even better, podcasts of today's show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com that's spelled d-i-v-i nation.com as well as via itunes and other free podcast servers this is paul o'brien reminding you to tell your friends about pathways radio and podcasts and thanks again to thomas hatzis and to all of you listeners for tuning in and being a part of the pathways conversation (laughs) KBO Portland,
1: 90.7 FM and KBOO.FM online. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification
0: requirements of the